As we begin this morning, need I ask the question, but I will, is anything outside of God's control? I mean, do you see, according to the Bible, that there could possibly be anything outside of God's control? You see, we often take our view of God through life circumstances and not through the Word of God. And the Bible shows us both through the stories of Scripture, the historical stories of Scripture, but also through uh, the New Testament epistles. Every part of Scripture portrays God as one who is not hindered by circumstances. Nothing is outside of God's control. We've looked at the first six plagues, and we, we ask ourselves, can anyone honestly say that the Bible does not present God as above all things and over all things? I mean, you, you would have to be a pretty sloppy reader of the Bible to come to any other conclusion. And that's why when we come to such portions of the Bible, I have a few, uh, one on the overhead for you, Isaiah 40, verses 21 to 23, God simply asks His people this simple question. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes, and this is so key with this Exodus story, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Have not God's people from the very beginning of time seen this through the pages of Scripture? Have we not been told this? In fact, in Psalm 50 verse 12, uh, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in all its fullness are mine. In Jeremiah 32 verse 27, it says, God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You see, we can be convinced as God's people that there is nothing outside of God's control. That if we are worrying and we're fearing and we're fretting, we are not trusting in the God that the Bible tells us of. We are trusting in some type of other thought process of who God is. We're expected to place our trust and our confidence in the God that the Bible portrays. Because what is the opposite of not placing our faith in in the God of the Bible? It is to be like Pharaoh. You see, as we come to this seventh plague... Pharaoh's heart remains unconvinced that God is who he says he is. Pharaoh still has a hard heart, but this hard heart will not 
keep God's promises from coming true. In fact, what does Exodus 7 verse 5 say? It's on the overhead for you. It says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. You see, Pharaoh, despite his hard heart, the very heart that God himself is is sovereignly hardening, he is going to reveal himself to Pharaoh. And as we come to this seventh plague, some of these plagues are only three, four, five verses long. This one's a whopper of a plague, isn't it? And believe it or not, we're going to try to get through this in one Sunday? That may be another miracle. (laughs) But as we come to this uh, last cycle of plagues, and these plagues are presented to us in cycles of three, you have the first three plagues and four to six, and then seven to nine. As we come to this last cycle of plagues, we again see, we see an escalation of God's judgment by which He's revealing His mighty name. God has, in the the plagues up to this seventh plague, He has revealed Himself as being God of the waters. He's revealed Himself as being God of the land. And now He is also going in dramatic fashion to reveal Himself to Pharaoh and the Egyptians as also the God of the of the heavens. And what we also are going to note this morning that just as is consistent with God's character, in the midst of these signs, He's also showcasing His patience. He's showcasing His mercy toward those who will respond to Him. So this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to kind of divide up this passage, this seventh plague... This cosmic battle between God and Pharaoh, we're going to divide it up and we're going to look at this in in three aspects. We're going to spend most of our time this morning looking, number one, at God's divine intervention here. God divinely intervenes once again to deliver His people. And then we're going to be looking at God's divine action that we see of judgment And then as we've looked with the other plagues, we're going to close by looking at Pharaoh's response to this divine God. And we're going to see yet again, and I pray that this is cemented further and further into our hearts, that it is only God who can rescue and redeem. We're going to open this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that You would touch our hearts with Your Word. Father, would the Word that that goes out this morning, would it indeed fall on ground that is receptive, that is soft to the Word of God? Lord, we see the devastation of a hardened heart. Father, as, as Don prayed, would You give us softness of heart this morning? Would you help us to once again see that you are a God who can be trusted? You're a God who is in control. 
You're a God who in the midst of your showing of your might and your judgment is a God who is patient and who is saving. Lord, would we as your people respond to the prodding of of the Holy Spirit with trust and obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning we're going to first look at this divine intervention that God once again steps in and He is fulfilling His plan. How does God divinely intervene in this seventh plague that He is bringing upon the Egyptians? Well, He first of all intervenes with a very purposeful hand. Nothing that God is doing here in Egypt is without purpose. Nothing is just haphazard. Nothing is just on a whim. Listen, nothing that God does in our lives is haphazard, is a last second thought. With people, many times it is. Have you ever been in a situation where you are kind of the ball's in someone else's court and you're waiting for them to respond or to make a decision or maybe it's a boss of a company uh, of your workplace and they have to make a decision and it affects you and you're thinking, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal to you but it's a big deal to me, this affects me and then you get really frustrated because whoever it is kind of just makes a last second decision like they never really thought about it in the first place. Have you ever had that happen? Nobody? You all have the best employers. And it's like, oh, thanks for putting a lot of thought into that. Because it doesn't really affect you, but it affects me a whole lot. Listen, God's not like that. God's hand is purposeful, and He will intervene in our lives just as purposefully as He intervenes here. How does God intervene? Well, verse 13, as we open up this seventh plague, he intervenes with the purposeful hand of deliverance. Notice verse 13 says, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. This is a familiar theme. In fact, the way that Moses portrays these plagues, as I mentioned, are are, uh, sets of three cycles. In plague one, in plague four, and now in plague seven, they are all described similarly. That God says to Moses, get up early and present yourself to Pharaoh. And he is to rise up early in the morning to present himself When we look at God's plan of deliverance, and He is intervening in our lives to bring us deliverance. Listen, even though we may be here this morning as born-again Christians, God is having to daily continue that work of grace in our hearts to intervene in our lives to deliver us from ourselves. You see, salvation is a past, present, future work. God God has saved us in the past, but He is in the process of redeeming us. This is a daily intervention. In this act of deliverance, we see just from verse 13 that it is a proactive act. 
Rise up early in the morning. Be ready, Moses, because I am ready. Early in the morning you are to rise up. And it's also not only a proactive plan of God, it's an enabling plan of God. God tells Moses, present yourself before Pharaoh. Now, this is very interesting when God says to present yourself before Pharaoh. Uh, you could also read this, uh, cause yourself to stand before Pharaoh. Why is this interesting? Well, if you look back at verse 11, the same word is used here to describe the priests, the magicians. And it says the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egypt, uh, uh, the magicians and all the Egyptians. You remember we talked about the progressive defeat of these these priests, these magicians. They could perform God's, they could imitate God's actions. Then they couldn't, and they said, "This is the finger of God." And then this last time they're mentioned in verse eleven, they can't even stand because of the boils on the bottom of their feet. Listen, it is only God who allows us to stand. And Moses is, a, is presenting himself before Pharaoh because it is God, the same God that caused the magicians to fall, to not be able to stand, is the same God that is saying, Moses, I am backing you so that you can stand before Pharaoh. Can I ask you, whose strength are you relying upon this morning? Are you thinking that your own standing as a believer, your own witness at work, amongst your family, maybe you have family members that aren't believers, maybe your own spouse is an unbeliever, uh, your friends who are unbelievers, your, your, your fellow classmates at school, if I really take a stand for God and if I follow Him as I am called, called to follow Him, man, I'm just going to be plummeted i'm gonna be nailed to the wall by those that are around me listen it's not about you it's about the god who causes you to stand you see it's god that enables but man with this plan of deliverance we also see just from verse 13 that this is a relentless plan i mean how many times has moses said to Pharaoh, that thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. What's the most important part of a song? This isn't a trick question. It's the chorus, right? You have a good chorus, you know you're going to more than likely have a good song. You have a bad chorus, probably the song is going to flop. Listen, this is the chorus to the Exodus story. Let my people go. It rings out over and over and over again. Can you wonder if Pharaoh thought in his mind, when is this God going to give up? I'm not going to listen. But yet here he's back again. Listen, God's purposeful hand is one of deliverance. But not only is it one of deliverance, when God intervenes in his perfect plan, it is one that brings out a proclamation. God intervenes for a purpose and we see it on the lips of Moses 
Because Moses continues after he again says this request by God to let my people go. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Listen, when God intervenes, when there is the divine proclamation of the work that He is doing in our lives, mark it down, God will make His voice very, very clear. You see, verse 14 shows us that He is going to hold nothing back. He says here, this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. In other words, I have reserved, I have reserved myself, Pharaoh. But as we come to these last remaining plagues, you are going to face my full fury. He's going to hold nothing back and he is going to directly make himself known to Pharaoh and the people. All of this is for the purpose, it says at the end of verse 14, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. As we look and we think about God's clear voice, can I ask you what this morning has God clearly been calling you to? Can I ask you this morning if maybe it could be that you are, are finding yourself, you say, you know what, it just seems that I don't know what God is saying, I don't know uh, what God desires, could it be that you are looking for things to which God is, has not proclaimed himself? In other words, we can be so caught up finding God's will for our life that we forget that God's will for our life is to follow him in the present. We can be so caught up, who does God want me to date or to marry or, or uh, when is God going to give me children or I'm so worried about this or this decision and God says, follow me and these other things will become known. God always makes his voice clear. But not only does he make his voice clear, but God also, we see, makes his glory fully known. In the midst of this call for judgment that he is going to unleash, God is going to unleash his fury on Pharaoh, on the servants, on the people. Notice in verse 15, his patience. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Here we see God's great patience because he did indeed send his pestilence in the first six plagues, but God is just simply saying here, I could have demolished you, but I'm patient. I'm making my glory known for look at what it says in verse 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. What a powerful, wonderful verse for us to comprehend this morning. 
You see, it is God and God alone who has raised Pharaoh up. He says, for this purpose I've raised you up. Again, we see, we see this uh, familiarity with verse 11 that the magicians couldn't stand before Moses or uh, before Moses because God struck them down. Moses is standing before Pharaoh and God even says, I am causing you, Pharaoh, to stand today for a specific purpose. Nothing escapes the glory and majesty of God's wisdom and plan. Psalm 75 verse 7 says, But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Daniel 2.21 says, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets kings up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Boy, isn't that an important verse and the whole political circus we see going on uh, in our country today and over these uh, few years. That it is God who is the one in charge. That it is God alone who causes people to rise and to fall. Where is your confidence this morning? When you woke up this morning, who did you think about? Was it yourself and all of your worries? Or was it your majestic God? Who are you thinking about right now? Are the cares and concerns of this world choking out your receptivity to the very Word of God? Or are you struck with the greatness of your God? You see, at the end of the day, it is only God alone who stands. What is the purpose of verse 16? To show you my power. Listen, if God worked the way that I would desire him to work, it would be to exalt myself and my ideals and my power and my plans and why those are best. But thank the Lord that in His goodness and in His grace, because God knows that because we are created in His image, we are His creations, that the only way we can thrive is if His glory is fully revealed. So God says in His goodness, I am not going to share my glory with you, Adam Pereira. I am not going to share my glory with you, fill in your name. I am going to be better to you than that. I am not going to allow you to try to replace me as God in your life and to have any sort of lasting satisfaction from that. See, God and His power is what stands. And when God's power is exalted, we see that the ultimate result of this, the ultimate purpose of this is so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Listen, this is the very goal all the way back in Genesis. That God's glory and God's name would fill the entire earth. 
And God says here to Pharaoh that these very plagues, your very life, Pharaoh, is accomplishing the purposes that I've had from eternity past. In fact, Romans chapter 9, verse 17, talking about the sovereignty of God and that God creates vessels of mercy and vessels of destruction. And we don't understand all that, but it's true. And, and, and Paul quotes from this very passage and he says, for the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, even Pharaoh in his rebellion is a trophy piece to God's majesty and glory. Just like we, Ephesians 2 tells us, for all eternity will be God's trophies of grace. You see, God uses that which we consider bad and that which we consider good. He uses it all for His glory I like what one theologian says, basically summarizes this verse, verse 16, summarizes it by basically saying this, by now I could have wiped you off the face of the earth. The reason I haven't is because I am using you to spread the word throughout the world that I am God. Understand this well, Pharaoh, and I thought this was so powerful. He says, understand this well, Pharaoh, you are serving my purpose. Here you have a guy that is so prideful. You have a guy that thinks he's a god. You have a guy that thinks he's serving his own purposes. And guess what? He's serving God's. Now, do you think the the Hebrew people knew that Pharaoh and his consistent refusal was serving God's purpose and plan? Do you think the, the Hebrew people knew that? Do you think Moses knew that even though God told him that? I don't think he fully got it. And neither will we because we're going to get quite upset at different circumstances. We're going to get quite disappointed at different things that happen. But listen, is your worldview one of which culture and feelings dictate Or is your worldview going to be sourced in the words of God and to to say from that worldview, God, I don't like what's happening to me, to others, what's happening around me, what's happening in this world, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these things are fulfilling your purposes. Are you going to have that attitude Because God intervenes always with a purposeful hand. But I just want to secondly show you how else God intervenes, and we've already touched on it here in verse 16, but God always intervenes with a powerful hand. Contrast this in verse 17 to Pharaoh's feeble attempt at power. You see, God says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. I mean, really, you're still doing this? That word still, what a small word it is, but what a powerful word it is to describe Pharaoh's rebellion. He is still exalting himself. But notice here in verse 17 who he is exalting himself above. 
Is it above God? No. Who is it? It's above His people. You are exalting yourself against my people. Look, Pharaoh could make himself look big and mighty and like the big bad wolf. Going to blow the house down. But folks, the only people that he could scare were the Hebrews. God looks at Pharaoh puffing out his chest and saying, I am a big God. I am greater than this God. I can outlast his judgments he's going to put against me. And God just sits in the heavens and laughs. Nothing intimidates God. Listen, what a comfort that is to me. What a comfort that can be to you to realize that though I may be worrying and though I may be quaking in my boots, nothing takes God by surprise and nothing intimidates God. Listen, if your anchor is in yourself, you are going to be tossed to and fro throughout the sea of life. Where's your anchor this morning? You see, in the midst of God's powerful hand, we see Pharaoh's feeble attempt at power. And then notice that God is now going to show His powerful hand once again in a mighty way with God's declared plague in verses 18 and 19. God says, he, He's Concluding here, and he says, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Wow. The timing is exact at this time tomorrow. God's timing is perfect. This is laid out. Not only that, this plague is disastrous. I'm going to cause very heavy hail to fall. And man, this has never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. That was a, a classic expression in the Egyptian dynasties of the pharaohs puffing themselves up that nothing has ever happened in this kingdom from, from then until now. Look at what a great ruler, a great pharaoh I am. And God says, listen, I am the ruler and nothing is going to happen. I'm going to use your own expression from the days of, its, of, of this kingdom's founding until now. God is, is, is warning these people in, way, in, in words they can understand. This is a disastrous plague. And he's going to do it with hail. Psalm 18, 12-13 says, Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. Listen, when we read of hail, we read of the presence of God. Hail was accompanies throughout the Bible God's very presence. But then we get to verse 19 and we see that in the midst of God's declared plague, mercy is still evident. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. 
You note God's mercy. The call goes out. You remember we read at the beginning of last week's sermon, we read the 1 Peter 3 passage and we read Matthew um, 24, but like the days of Noah, the warnings throughout history, throughout the history of this world have gone out. But those who do not listen face judgment. We see here that God intervenes in life with a purposeful hand and with a powerful hand, but fortunately for us, God also intervenes with a saving hand. Notice verse 20. It says, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. We note here the the emphasis here on this fear of the word of the Lord. So those Egyptians that they saw what God did in the first six plagues, they say, we better listen to what this God has to say. They're like, slaves, workers out in the field, get in here. Let's get our animals in here because this God is going to do something. Those who feared the word of the Lord, they obeyed. Now, this is more than likely, this is not a saving fear of the Lord. This is not the Egyptians saying, this is the one true God. No, this isn't fear of the Lord, which becomes a key phrase in the Bible. The fear of the Lord, we read that throughout Proverbs. No, this is a fear of the word of the Lord. In other words, whoever this God is, he means business, so we're going to heed his warning. And they hide their slaves, or they put them in the houses. They put, they put the animals in the houses. But, verse 21 says, whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So here we see a fear of the word of the Lord, and then in verse 21, a forgetfulness of the word of the Lord. So interesting that whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord, when you read that in the Hebrew, it literally reads, whoever did not put his heart to the word of the Lord. We see here God's saving hand, and yet in the midst of this offer of deliverance from this plague, there are still people who will not listen. We've spent the majority of our time this morning looking at this first aspect of this plague of God's divine intervention. Listen, God, if you are a a believer here today, you rest assured that God is intervening in your life. That God is working to bring ultimate deliverance to you. Are you heeding His voice? If you are here today and you are not a believer, God is intervening in your life. God is showing you the only way to salvation. Are you heeding it? Or are you forgetful? Do you leave the conviction that the Lord brings your heart and you you drown out that conviction with hobbies and work and pleasure and all of those things? 
But not only do we observe God's divine intervention, but we also observe that God is again true to His Word, God's divine action. You see, verses 22 to 26 show us that God was indeed true to His Word. Let's just read those verses quickly. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down from the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, and very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. There's that phrase again. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. God was, was true to His Word. I mean, man alive, do you see the description here? The fiery, destructive scene? I mean, you could not help but be there and look to the skies, look out your window, and behold the greatness of the God of Israel. Wow! It's interesting. In Psalm 105, verse 32, talking about this very plague, the psalmist says, He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. Psalm 148.8 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His Word. God's Word will be fulfilled this is the greatness of our God. We don't have time to turn there, but if you write down Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21, you see a very similar scene to what is described here. God is at work. God, in only what God can do, is displaying Himself. God was true to His Word but note this, God is also true to His character. And that character is revealed through judgment and salvation. Verses 16-20, to 20, those who are not His people that have rejected His Word are under the judgment of God. That fiery judgment like Mike mentioned this morning. But those that are His experience the salvation of the Lord. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were was there no hail. Can you imagine the miraculous scene of this? That there's hail, black skies, fiery lightning everywhere, and all of a sudden there's this little segment of land, clear skies, sunny, calm, 
people out and about doing their normal responsibilities. Folks, this is an act of miraculous salvation. Folks, the fact that Jesus has come and has taken the penalty of our sins, that is even more miraculous than this. Amen? We have the assurance that if we are in Christ, we are free from God's judgment. I wonder if today in our hearts we find ourselves longing after the land of Egypt, longing after the culture of this world, what it has to offer, what it promises to give. And we don't see that this is the destination of this world. And folks, we right now are sort of in the land of Goshen. And we have experienced the saving work of God, but we have not yet entered into that promised land that God has given us. And we are, we are kind of in this already not yet sort of phase in our salvation that God has granted us salvation, but there is more yet to come. He's not complete yet. We haven't made our final destination home. Are we going to dare to be so foolish as to flirt with the land of Egypt knowing that this is what characterizes the land of Egypt? The destruction of Almighty God. Not just a physical destruction, but a destruction of the mindset of this world, of the schemes of this world, of the ploys of this world, of what this world says is important. What will our response be? As we close, I just want to give you the third element to this plague. Not only do we see God's divine intervention and God's divine action here for us, but we see the response to the divine that Pharaoh has. And we see in verses 27 to 32 that this is false repentance. Pharaoh sent, called Moses and Aaron to him, and this is what he says, this time I have sinned. Oh really, just this time, huh? The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Here's his request. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. We see here false repentance. Verses 27 and 28 give us Pharaoh's confession. But listen, Mark this down. This is not a confession of the one true God. This is a concession to the one true God. This isn't a confession of the one true God, and yes, I'm going to let him have his way. He is the one God. I'm nothing compared to him. No, this is a concession. In other words, whoa, this has gotten a little bit too hot in the kitchen. Okay, 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 tell him to make the plague go away. 
And Moses, in verse 29 to 30, Moses' proclamation, I mean, note this. He says, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I'm going to pray for you. This in and of itself, again, is a miracle. It is, it is God flaunting his preservation and protection of his people before Pharaoh. Because here's Moses says, the people are staying in their house huddled up. And Moses says, okay, I'm not going to pray for you right here when I'm in front of you. No, I'm going to go through the midst of the hail, get out of the city, and then I'll pray for you. How's that? <laughs> and he does it. God answers. But note that verse 30 shows us God is not deceived. He knows the hearts of men. You know, we can be so convinced by the confessions, the acts of repentance of even our own children. They know how to manipulate, don't they? But God sees hearts. We can even deceive others of our own hearts, but God sees our heart. And then God evidences His judgment. You might say, where in the world do verses 31 to 32 come from? Well, we see the destructive power in verse 31 of, of all of the crops. And, and remember that the Egyptians, they are, are mainly crop farmers, not livestock farmers. So this hits them right where, where they're at. But verse 32, we see God's preservation. And guess what? It is this very preservation that sets us up for the next plague. Because what wasn't destroyed by the hail? The locusts are going to get. And then in verses 33 to 35, Pharaoh's true heart is revealed. Moses went out of the city, stretched his hands to the Lord, and guess what happens? The thunder, hail cease, the rain no longer poured upon the earth, but, verse 34, when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, what happens? He sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. You see, in Pharaoh's case, respite from God's hand revealed his true intentions. The immediate pressure is gone and he goes back to his ways because there was no changed heart. And then verse 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. He did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. We see rejection of God's command was the outworking of his heart. So folks, as we close this morning, our time is well spent. Only God can rescue and redeem. Maybe this morning God is doing some intervening work in your life and you are seeking to run from it. Listen, we are to run to it. Maybe this morning you are left under the lies of this culture that guess what? God's not going to act. God is not going to do the work that He promises in His Word. Listen, if we are His, God promises to complete what He started. If you're here today without Christ, you may say, you know what? All this stuff about the Bible, that's not really true. Listen. God's word is true, and God will carry through what he says in that word, both judgment and salvation. Maybe you're here today, 
as we all are. And the question is, how are we going to, dis- to respond to our divine, majestic, holy God? Are we going to respond in obedience or are we going to be content to play the outward game when there's really no change of heart? Let's pray this morning.